Your life can be full of inspiration and magic, and you don't need glass slippers to get there. Welcome to the podcast for real life heroines with author, speaker, and coach, Susanna Liller. Join us as we work with key elements of personal development to assist you in hearing the calls that life has for you. Be inspired, be empowered, and be encouraged. Let's start today's episode with your host, Susanna Liller. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast for Real Life Heroines, where I get to talk to amazing heroines about their journey and how they answered a call and what the adventure was like and if they pushed back against the threshold guardians and all parts of their amazing story. And I don't know, I'm quite excited today during this podcast episode because my guest is Sophie Burnham. And Sophie, welcome. I'm so glad to be here. And I love your word, heroine. We don't think that we're heroines at all. We don't. So this podcast is about helping women understand that they are. And Mm -hmm. let me, before I ask you about your remarkable journey, and of course, letting everybody know, I know you know this, that as heroines, we go on journeys many times in our lifetimes, answering a call, and then we get another call. So we're going to be talking about one of yours, but let me just say a bit about who you are for people who might not know, who might not be like me, who have been collecting your books like Revelation, The Ecstatic Journey, The Path of Prayer, The Art of Intuition. Um, So Sophie is a famous author, and she has written many books, more than just those four. And let me Just give you the little blurb, if you would let me, Sophie, from your website. Award-winning playwright, novelist, and nonfiction writer. Three of her books have appeared on the New York Times and other bestseller lists. Her works have been translated into 24 languages. Her articles and essays have been published in Esquire, New York, the New York Times Magazine, where I think you were on the cover with Rita Marino, or the two of you made the cover of the New York Times Style Magazine, Town and Country, Reader's Digest. In addition to her theater interests, she is a psychic and a medium and a spiritual director, and she lives in Massachusetts, though she's going to talk to us about how she recently made a move. And so welcome, Sophie, with all those accolades to think that you're on my podcast. It's quite exceptional for me. Whenever I hear the, an introduction like that, I always think, gosh, I wonder who that is. I'd like to hear her. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you and you're here. And we have had an opportunity to, to chat a bit and talk about, well, what are we going to talk about? Because with all those books and so much I could ask you about, I kind of offered up some things. I said, well, maybe you could talk about one of your heroine's journeys when you answered a call. And then you kind of surprised me because you said, well, I'm in one. I just 
started my apartment and I'm moving to Massachusetts where I have two daughters and four grandchildren. Right. Who of course will scatter the minute that I'm up here, but <laughs> that's the way life works. It does. It does. Just last week I sold my Washington DC apartment where um, I where refers to Washington. In Washington, I've lived in Washington for 60 years. Wow. And my family have been there for more than 350 years, and there's not so much as an alley or an, a road that does not have a house, that does not have a memory. So-and-so lived there. That was where Uncle So-and-so was. Mm. And, or great great grandfather was <laughs> you know so so this is a big step for me and it's terrifying and i know it's the right thing and if there's anything i want to say to anybody on this hero's journey heroine's journey it's that we do it over and over and over again in our lives right and even when you know you're doing the right thing it's we're still scared yeah it's not that you don't go off and I'm scared because what it means, or what I think it means is, is I'm stepping out into a new incarnation of myself. Who am I right. in this body at this moment of my life? Hmm. I'm not the person that I was 20 years ago. And, and, who am I? What does God want from me? Where am I to go? What's going to happen? So What's you're saying we're not static. We don't. It's always the next chapter. But I and think one, you one have person said to me, how do I dance with uncertainty? Yeah. As if anything is ever certain. Right. So, right. so we think it is. We think, well, we can stay safe if we stay put and no, it's not certain that everything's fine. But and the minute that it is, we're tossed up. The universe has a way of coming in and throwing everything in, up in the air again. See, where is it all going to fall? Sophie, when you say you know you're on the right path, you know. So how do you know? Because that's something that we all struggle with is I think this is what I should do. But how do you know? It's such an important question. And until you have made a lot of mistakes, you don't know. <laughs> so you must be very, um, very happy to make mistakes. They're your friend. Then you know, oh, I see. I didn't listen. Mm -hmm. And we all know this. I knew I shouldn't go down that road and I didn't listen, we say to ourselves. Because the frontal brain will overwhelm the intuition. Intuition is so fragile, right. so gentle. But sometimes the knowing comes with a very clear direction. And I've, as I've gotten older, my mind have become much more clear. Hmm. You're to do this. And I no longer question it. Okay, you want me to do that? I'll go do that. Well, you I told you this story, Susanna. Can yeah. I tell 
I want you to tell the story about New York, if you would, please. Yeah, I'm I'm out at my house in Taos, New Mexico, where I had a cabin. I can't call it a house, a hut, a hovel, a shack, <laughs> and and. I'm between books, which is always very hard. So I don't have any sense that I'm any use to the world at all. And I keep praying and praying to the void. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Where am I to go? How can I be of service? What's next? I'm lost. I'm completely lost. And one day, one morning, I woke up out of sound sleep with a very clear knowing, New York City, six months. And when I say it was very clear, it was not a voice inside of me. It was just knowing. Hmm. But at the same time, it's accompanied by, yes! (laughs) Which is how I know that it's the voice of God. Hmm. If it has love and if it is yes, I look for joy and I look for yes. And, and the yes inside of you, Sophie, I mean, yes is inside of me. Yeah. Oh, New York City. What fun. OK. <laughs> Followed immediately by panic. New York City. I can't afford New York. How am I going to ever find a place to live in New York for six months? And then my intellectual memory pops in and I say, all things are possible with God. Shut up, Sophie, and go and do this. So I called three friends of mine that I have knew well enough to call in New York and said, I'm thinking about coming to New York for four or five months. See, I'm already, I'm already bargaining it down. It was supposed to be six months. Come to New York for four or five months. And I wonder if you know anyone who has a sublet. Of course, none of them did. But one of them said for me to call Charlotte. So I called Charlotte and left a message on her answering machine at work. By then it was late afternoon and she'd already gone home in New York. I'm in New Mexico two hours later. The next morning, Charlotte goes to her mailbox where she lives in a high rise at 66th and 2nd Avenue. And a woman comes up to her and says, aren't you Charlotte so-and-so, you're a realtor? And she says, yes. And she said, my friend Mary has just died and the family have a two bedroom furnished rent controlled apartment that they need to rent for six months. (laughs) Six months. When Charlotte gets to her office, here I am, I'm looking for a place to rent for four or five months. So I rented that apartment and I found myself in New York. Now I don't know why am I in New York? Okay, here I am, God, what am I supposed to be doing? And what happened through a series of accidents that I won't bother telling you about, two things happened. One, I started to volunteer at a place called Healing Works, which gave alternative healing modalities to people who could not afford them, like acupuncture and Reiki and therapy and massage. And they said, what can you do? And I said, well, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll lick envelopes, I'll write letters for fundraising. What do you need? 
They said, no, 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 what you're going to do, you're going to give readings. I said, I'm going to do what? <laughs> you're going to give psychic readings. The year is, two, is 1999. And so the woman said, I will send you clients. You will give them readings. I said, I don't know how to give readings. But because I was in New York for those six months, I discovered that I am a psychic and a medium. When a spirit comes through, I'm acting as a medium between the two worlds. When a, a spirit does not come through or an angel, then I'm just giving an intuitive psychic reading. And it turned out that she was absolutely right and I'm really good at it. The other thing that I happened to do was to befriend Charlotte. And it turned out that this might have been the most important reason I was in New York because Charlotte was dying and she had a terminal illness and we spent many hours talking about life and about death and about what it was about and why are we here and what's going on. I love Charlotte. She was just wonderful, wonderful woman. And so the six months were up and I knew with a really clear knowing, I'm not supposed to live in New York. I can come there, I can visit, but I'm not supposed to live here. Right. So I went back to Washington with my life changed. My goodness. So I need to just pipe <clears throat> in about kind of how I got to you so that I could ask you to do this because I think that was a God nudge for me too, because what happened was I remembered that I had read a book that talked about what happened with light when a person had an awakening experience, when a person had a direct experience of God. And I couldn't remember what's the book that talked about how light just shone off that person. And, and I thought it was one book and I got it and I was wrong. And then I had this revelation that it was this book that I had read a long time ago. And I think, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago by this writer, Sophie Burnham, called Revelation. And I, oh I ordered- God, That's a novel. It's a novel, but for, it's about a minister. Presbyterian minister who has an experience of God. And, and when this happens to him, the, he looks down and, and you describe the light is jet. Well, can I just, I found it. Um, his mouth was filled with a taste so delicious that he thought he would expire. And he was bathed by wave after wave of light, a radiance that washed him up and down, through him, around him, over him. He knew that he had seen not God, for that would blind him, but the waving of the grasses at the passing of the hem of his garments. He had seen to the edge of the unknowable. To me, I know this is a novel, but you put so much of your spiritual wisdom in here. And I know that you have had experiences of seeing that kind of light. 
Yes, yes, I have. And I wrote about it finally in the ecstatic journey. It took me many, many years to dare to write about it because what happens when you have a really sacred moment and then you tell it to people or you write it is that you diminish it. Yeah. And I, it took me 15 or 20 years before I dared to write what had happened to me. First, because I was scared to be laughed at. I mean, that was what St. Teresa talks about or, you know, right. big time saints, <laughs> not just little people like me. Huh. But, but, um, but also because I knew that it would go away. And then I had this knowledge, okay, it's time to let that part of your life go, give it to other people and see, step out into the unknown yeah. without holding on. I mean, we spend so much time holding on to things. Right. And the holding on holds us back. Hmm. When we're ready to absolutely let go, that's when the heroine's journey really begins. Right. By the way, I wanted to say another thing about knowing what Julian of Norwich called the knowing and showing. Sometimes when I don't know, I put out my hands and I weigh the two possibilities. There might be more than two possibilities, so you take them in increments. And the one that weighs in with light and love and joy is the one that is yes. Mm. That's the one you always do. The one that, and it doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean that you won't feel that you have failed. But at the same time, something happens and you don't have to know the end result of everything. Most of the time we don't know how our words or actions affect another person. Most of the time we're just floundering and blundering along. But we, but we want to know, don't we? Which is often, in fact, just this morning I was talking to my daughter and she said to me, she's trying to decide on two different paths. And she said, but I want to know it. I want to know the big picture before I decide. And I said, you don't, you don't know because you're on one side of the threshold. And only when you step over, do you then see the different landscape? You can't see it on this side. No, but I will tell her she must go and do what her heart tells her to do. Because right. her heart is where this knowing is from. Did you know the heart has a brain of its own? And it, I don't know how the scientists have figured this out, but apparently the heart has a brain in addition to being just a pump, pumping billions and billions of times, night and day, every second of our lives long mm. without stopping. And at the same time with our hearts, we know things and we see things clearly 
and we love things with our hearts, mm. never with our minds. Though the mind always wants to get in there and figure things out and tell you to be careful and yes. It's on our side too. It wants to, it wants to protect us. That brings me to another topic, which is the inner judge. I don't know about you, but I have a very high inner judge and it's a male. And he, he, it took me years to understand that he was on my side and that he's actually terrified, but he's a monster like the heap who lives in the basement. And when, and he comes climbing up the basement steps and he's ready to punish me for something. This, high inner judge voice. And I have discovered that he's actually the voice of fear and that what he needs is to be calmed down and put my arm around him and tell him that everything's gonna be okay. And, and that I have it under control. And he can go back down and go to sleep again because I really thank him. And when I do that, it's all right. If I ignore him, he gets louder. Louder. Yes. Mm -hmm. On the heroine's journey, I talk about that monster, that fear as a dragon who will come up and wanting to protect us like dragons sleep on fireballs and treasures. Right. But and sometimes it's, I think, very childish. You know, it's it's a fear that we got when we were children that we were going to be punished. And so hugging them is a good thing. That's what you do with the child who was afraid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know what, Sophie, it's so, I mean, here you are so accomplished with all these books and you've done so much and with this acclaim and it's kind of comforting to know that you still get afraid and you still have a critic and, um, you still need to gather up your courage for another, yet another heroine's journey that I guess what you're saying is it just keeps happening, but you and these feelings still come up, but um, that's the way it is and it's okay. It's not only okay, it's why we came down here. Mm. I have a very strong sense that I knew before I was born what was going to happen. Hmm. And, and I agreed to it. And then I am allowed the privilege of having a physical body and having the extraordinary experience of living inside of this chassis my chassis is now rusty and old and, and withered and wrinkled. And you know what? It's really held up well all these years and done a great job for me. And some point it will become so painful to live inside this old body that I will decide to leave. Hmm. I don't die, but the body, I let go of the body I wrote a poem about it once, like slipping out of my suitcase. I'm carrying, I live inside my suitcase hmm. and I open the clasp and I 
slip out like laundry, white laundry in the wind. Hmm. And um, the suitcase is thrown in the junk pile. But I'm blowing in the wind. And, and the spirit that lives inside, and this is not just for me, but for all of us, is immortal, is young. That's why we, we think we're 20 years younger than we are. And how strange it is to look in the mirror and see your mother's face. Yes. <laughs> It is, yes. Um, what a privilege to be born a human being mm. and to be born a woman at this period of life. I have to say, in a democracy, it's it's got its problems, but we're really working hard. Right. And we I am filled with joy and hope mm. about the world. As I look at the war in Ukraine, for instance, I'm thinking, I was alive during the Second World War. And you know what? The whole world has come together to say, we do not want this inhumanity. Right. We do not want war. Right. I mean, this is unbelievable. And thrilling to me, thrilling. Yeah. I'm hopeful about climate change. I don't think we're allowed to get out of school that easily. <laughs> it can't Earth, Earth school, you mean, yes. Yeah, Earth school. Mm -hmm. The school of suffering. Mm. This is a school of suffering where we learn compassion and empathy and, and how to be happy in the midst of difficulty. So how, why does it have to be about suffering? I mean, you talk about joy. <clears throat> The suffering then teaches I think us. That's, I think that's this planet. The physicists tell us that there are 12 dimensions. And Jesus said, there are many mansions in my father's house. Mm. I think this is one of many, many mansions or dimensions or rooms where we get to test our spiritual strength. Am I strong enough to look for happiness? One of the things that I've noticed about living in this plane of existence is loss. It's all about loss, loss of houses, mm -hmm. loss of partners, loss of husbands or wives or lovers or sons and daughters, loss of dreams, loss of capacity, loss of physical abilities. Right. Uh, and, and as you take away all the things that we considered valuable, you realize how good the simplicity is, how in spite of thinking that you really needed that, in general, we don't. It's and then the loss, we grieve the loss to the extent that we loved. I'm sorry, my phone is ringing. Let me turn that All right, off. it's fine. Oh, 
but I've lost my train of thought now. Lost. We were talking about how eventually everything that that can be lost will be lost, um, and that's mm -hmm. true. Even up and to there's a great beauty in it. A I, great beauty. Beauty. There's a great beauty in it. Um, but you have to. You have to be aware. You have to be awake. Yeah. There are so many people I have the sense are the walking dead. Yeah. But life will wake you up. I'm sorry. Pull the <laughs> rug out. Pull the rug out under your feet. So, Sophie, I turned 70 last November. And, and I've been having the, you know, issues about Oh no, yet another wrinkle and oh my eye is not doing what it used to do and and here you are. I know that you just there was 2 years ago published an essay in the New York Times about a man 30 years younger than you falling for you and it was a wonderful article. Um so how how has that been for you? getting older and aging and give us your philosophy about that. I think if anything, it will help me. I think about it a lot. Um, I hate the numerals. <laughs> I am, I am now 85 and I was just looking in the paper the other day at all these people who died years before 85 and one woman, I don't even remember who it is at the moment, who just died this morning, yesterday at 84. And, and I look at 84 and I think, yes, that's a suitable age to die. And I think of myself and I think, oh my God, I'm not the least bit ready to die. I've got another 15 years ahead of me. I've got stuff to do. I don't have time to die. And, <laughs> and so I'm caught on the same tension that everyone is caught on. Right. But I have to tell you that I have always felt that way. When I was 20, I felt I'm too old. I have always been ashamed of my age. Hmm. It would never occur to me to have told someone that I was 42 or 38 or 55 or 70 because my age was always a matter of shame. And I don't know why that is. And this sense of life is so short, I have to just live it completely day by day, the best that I can. Right. I remember when I was 20, um, a man asked me to marry him. I was maybe even 19. And, and I turned to him and I said, I can't marry you. I said, I'm going to die very soon. I don't have time to marry you. And he said, you're going to die. Why, what in the world? I said, well, I don't expect to live much past 90 or 95. I don't have time to marry you. <laughs> and I look back on it now, it's really hilarious, but it must have been pretty, pretty devastating to him. And I meant every word of it. I, I just, you know, we choose, what are you gonna do? What's important in your life? You're gonna die very shortly. 
in the blink of God's eye, we're gone. Right, right. All of those things that you have read about me, my accomplishments, that was somebody else. That, that is not the me today. I'm delighted that I did it. I love having had the experiences. I loved being celebrated for a brief time. And I love not being celebrated even better mm. because it's a real imposition. People, people impose their views on you, how you are. But I've had a fantastic life. And what I have now is today, this minute, this mm. hour. Hmm. And will I choose to live it with courage and daring on the hero's journey, the heroine's journey? Or will I give up and decide that I'd better practice shuffling when I walk and bend <laughs> over? And <laughs> My daughter tells me when she sees me shuffling, she's going to pick me up and throw me over her shoulder and start carrying me around. I want to just read to you that at the end of that article where you talked about the young man falling for you, mm -hmm. you said, um, so what is it to be? At that time, you were 82. 82. What does femininity mean at this age? Beauty, sensuality? I should say that I have never been happier than in these later years, never more filled with wonder and delight. I think sometimes I'm back to being a nine-year-old, only with a creakier body, filled with joy at being alive, with none of the damage that the raging rivers of hormones later inflict. So what do I want to tell women of tomorrow about the brilliant decades that lie ahead? I want to tell them about how good they can be. I want to tell them about joy. That's what I want to tell about. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? They have proven that as you get older, you get happier. Yeah. You let go of some things. I think. I don't understand it. And it doesn't mean that I don't have periods of being unhappy or of weeping or of feeling desolate. Everybody does. And if you don't have that, then you don't know the joy. Right. There's always a shadow side or somewhere you wrote light always leaves a shadow. The more light, of course, yeah. there's a shadow. Yeah. There's a shadow. So as I'm beginning to think we have to end, even though um, there's that's probably a wonderful way to end. <laughs> well, it is. And that's what you probably want to leave. Is there anything in addition that you want to leave people with who are listening? And yes, there's one other thing that I want to say. Uh, one of my grandchildren just uh, did not get into the school that she had wanted to get into and is just devastated. And what I want to say and tried to say to her, though she probably can't hear it at this point, is that in my experience, we get everything in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we have an idea of the ambition that we want, where we're going to go, and we're going to go in a straight line that way, just straight at it. And that life doesn't do that. It comes around with all of these torturous little curly cues and river channels and 
bends and rivulets and and then you discover that you've gotten it and you think oh my gosh i remember wanting this <laughs> i remember 10 years ago i had wanted this and here it is but the deal is you don't get it until you've let it go <laughs> and it comes by surprise right and that's why it's such an adventure, this living. Yeah. But I think we must listen to our angels. I believe that we all have angels. We all have at least two or three angels that are working with us. And we talk to them and we listen to them and we follow their directions. And it all works out right. That's one of your, you've written more than one book about angels and yeah. And they're real. They're real. I've seen angels and I've had my life saved by an angel and it's real. I believe you. I have never seen one. I've never seen one, but I absolutely believe you. Yeah. And the, the piece about letting it go. I mean, to me, those are answered prayers. Our prayers are answered, but we don't necessarily know how that's going to be. And again, our brain tries to figure it out what it's going to look like. But as you said, Sophie, if you let it go and let God work God's work, then yeah. it will come to you. Yes. And, and it absolutely will come to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have shared a lot of a lot of wisdom. I would encourage people to read your books. I'm wondering if so I can share with people that your website is sophieburnham.com and I give readings. Yeah. Yes, and so I should just let people know that's I in that book Revelations I turned to the back and there it was Sophie gives readings and I was emailing her in no time and got to have a wonderful reading where Sophie told me my 70s were going to be okay. <laughs> that's really good. So that's how I came around the circle to find her. I, you know, thinking about light, finding the book Revelations, Sophie Burnham. And now look, she's here with me and Sophie, I'm, I've got you now, so you're not going to be rid of me very easily. Um, okay. Yes. I like the promise. Thank you. And is there anything about your work now that you would want us to know about? about we know that you give readings. Um, know that I give readings, and I'm not writing anything at the moment because I'm moving, right. <laughs> which is, takes up a lot of time. Yeah. And um, no, go live a good life. Yeah. Live a small life. All the small things in small ways become huge. Mm. We don't have to go change the world. We don't have to do valiant things. We just need to put one foot in front of the other and love each other. That's it. Okay. And that's hard. <laughs> that's hard enough. It is hard. Thank you, darling. Thank you so very much for being with us today. And I hope we'll have another conversation with you at some point.
So thank you, thank you. And thank you everybody for listening and joining us in this episode. And I hope that you'll be with us for the next one. Okay. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast for real life heroines with Susanna Liller. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. To find more about Susanna and how she can assist you in your heroine story, go to SusannaLiller.com forward slash blog or find us on social media and YouTube by searching Susanna Liller. You can also email us directly at Susanna at SusannaLiller.com. We'd love to hear from you. To be encouraged and inspired outside of the show and blog, check out You Are Heroine, a retelling of the hero's journey written by your host and coach, Susanna, available on Amazon. Until the next time, be well, heroine.